Welcome to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. I'm your host, Callie O'Connor. I've gone from career burnout to taking multiple career breaks, scoring several remote jobs, and even starting my own business while traveling to over 80 countries. The one thing that held me back from starting sooner was that I didn't believe it was possible for me. I wasn't aware that travel could become part of my lifestyle. Through this podcast, I'm so excited to share with you the travel possibilities that are out there for you. In season three, we're talking all about travel jobs. Let's get started. Finally, we are talking about Antarctica on the podcast today with my guest, Amanda Moffmer. Amanda is now self-employed as a photographer, but for about two years, she worked with the United States Antarctic Program, looking at processes for various departments and using the knowledge of the staff in those areas to automate processes, streamline them, and make them more efficient. So she was a full-timer for the program and was able to deploy to McMurdo Station in Antarctica for about a month to examine processes and pain points in real time. And so she worked full-time. There are also a number of contract positions you can get in Antarctica, and she shed some light on those as well, because basically these stations are small cities and they need all positions to make it function. So there's a lot of cool opportunities to travel and work and live in Antarctica, if that's something that's ever been on your radar. So here's the episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Travel Possibilities podcast. We are talking about one of the coolest, maybe coldest travel jobs today. So I'm so excited to have my guest, Amanda, here. Amanda, welcome. Why don't you introduce yourself? Hello. Thank you for having me. I am Amanda Mockmer, and I used to work in Antarctica. So yeah, definitely one of the coolest in so many ways, places that you could work. During my time, I worked full-time for the program and I was a continuous improvement project manager, basically. So I would basically go and look at the processes and how we did things and then figure out what was the best way to make them more efficient. So definitely kind of a unique role within the program. And then kind of gave me exposure into a lot of different things. So cool. And I'm excited to talk about all of those things. But first, what is the Antarctic program? Antarctica essentially is the least contaminated place on the planet. Um, So it has the least human impact, animal impact, everything like that. So the Antarctic Treaty was signed in 1959. There, I believe it's 50 members, so 50 different countries who kind of said this is going to be like a safe place. It's going to be calm. We're not going to fight over it. Nobody can own it. And so what happened was all of these different countries got together, agreed to that, and then said, we want to do science here. So the U.S. Antarctic program was created so that way there can be science done in Antarctica that can't be done anywhere else on the world. So it's a very, very exclusive science. And The cool thing about it is you're going to send people down to Antarctica. You need everything to run a small town. And so basically the U.S. Antarctic program consists of the scientists, the grantees, as well as all of the people who support those scientific endeavors. So cool. What is your background and what were you doing before you started working for the program? Yeah, so um, I 
kind of like the background history is I was raised with that very like strong belief that you graduate high school, you go to college, you get a job, you make a lot of money and that's what you do in life. And so I followed that to the T. I was like, great, I'm, I'm doing that. And I graduated from college with just a business degree. And I was kind of like, cool, I can do anything with it. And I graduated in 2009, which not exactly the best time for the economy and basically ended up in accounting jobs, which like the one thing I learned about accounting is I hate accounting, <laughs> but it kind of forced me into these roles where I was constantly fixing things. Like I was like, why, why do we do things like this? And I was always questioning that. And I was like, this would be really cool if that was a job. And so essentially I figured out it was a job. I went and got some certifications. Um, so I have a Lean Six Sigma black belt um, certification and I got my project management professional certification and kind of went into these roles where I was just fixing problems all the time. Very cool. And so one day were you like, all right, I'm going to just apply for a job in Antarctica or that's not how it went? <laughs> Definitely not how it went. Um, I had been laid off from my job in, I think, 2017, 2016, somewhere right around there. And, you know, was kind of doing the unemployment thing. I was just applying for jobs, like, left and right. I luckily had a mentor who had said, hey, women, we typically only apply for jobs that we're, like, 50% qualified for we need to stop doing that. We need to apply for all the jobs. And so I was like, okay, like, I'm just going to apply. And I got, I came across this job one day and it was for Lockheed Martin, who was the prime contractor at the time. And it was like this really intense, like job application or like job listing. And just like words and words and words and words and words. And I was like, felt really overwhelmed. And I was like, I'm probably not smart enough to work at Lockheed Martin. I've seen the people who work there, like they're really smart people. And I get to like the very, very bottom line of this job description. And it says, this position might deploy to Antarctica. And I was just like, well, that's super random, but like, I'm just gonna apply to this job. And sure enough, I got a call. Um, it was a small team. Like they kind of called last minute and they're like, can you come in for an interview? And I was like, I'm in like sweatpants. And like, this is not exactly how I want to present myself. I actually made a reference about polar bears in my job interview. And they're like, so there's no polar bears in Antarctica. And I was like, that is really good to know. <laughs> like, Whoops. I was like, yeah, I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this job. And then sure enough, they liked me so much that I had a competing job offer at another company. And they kind of fought for me. And then I ended up taking that position. So very cool. Then I was like, okay, well, if there's not polar bears in Antarctica, then I gotta go. I gotta go find out what's there. Exactly. <laughs> And you never know. You can make a comment that you didn't really mean to make, and it can still work out. So I love that. So you had mentioned to me that initially you weren't really necessarily interested in going to Antarctica, but what changed? Yeah. So I was, like, born and raised in Colorado. Like, it gets cold here in the winter. I don't ski or snowboard. Like, I am not a, like, 
winter sport fan other than like I love wearing sweaters and being cozy (laughs) (laughs) and so the thought of going to Antarctica I was just like well it just wasn't appealing and then you start to talk to the people who have been there and they have all of these cool stories and you kind of have this like FOMO a little bit of like wait a second like that sounds really cool and it's so much different than I than what you would picture and so hearing the stories like it just kind of got me really excited and then I was like okay this is my mission I have to go I have to go and especially working for the the U.S. Antarctic program is such a different experience than what you're going to see on a traditional tourist level and so it just kind of was this opportunity that you're not going to have forever and you have to take it. So cool. I'm like ready to jump the gun because I want to know more about <laughs> Antarctica, but first. <laughs> so you w- were working for the company back in the United States to start, right? Like what were your, Correct. what was your day to day? What was your role like in the U.S.? Yeah. So there's two big distinctions um, to make. And you can work for the U.S. Antarctic program full time. You can work as a contractor. And so I was working on the full time side. And so it was a very traditional Monday through Friday, eight to five job, with the exception that we got every other Friday off. So a little bit of freedom. (laughs) And so it was it was really traditional, except for you'd have these. There wasn't Zoom calls. You're you're not going to zoom with people in Antarctica. The the bandwidth is not there for the internet. Um, so you're going to have like really sketchy satellite phone calls when you've got to have meetings with other people. But other than that, it was such a traditional job. You just were working with people who were also you know in Antarctica. And so then they're like, well, if you're going to improve the processes, you need to go and see it in real life. Absolutely. Cool. So what are the requirements to get you there? Yeah. So, and this was probably like one of the biggest challenges I've ever had to overcome um, in my professional career um, and kind of sticking up for myself. So in order to go to Antarctica, at least at McMurdo Station, which is one of the three um, stations that the U.S. has, it's the largest the medical facility is the equivalent of like a double wide trailer. So if you need medical assistance, it's there's doctors, there's nurses, but there's not a lot to kind of help support you if something were to to go wrong. And it would essentially could result in like a medevac from McMurdo to New Zealand, which is very expensive. It's challenging. So just kind of with a little bit of that in mind, they do require you to be in pretty decent physical shape to go down. So you go through a process and it's called PQ, physical qualification, and you submit your entire medical history. Um, So I had an unfortunate incident when I was 14. I was dropped on the back of my head and it resulted in, I now have epilepsy very functioning person. I can talk through my seizures. I don't lose consciousness. But that was something that the U.S. Antarctic program viewed as a liability. And well, what if something happens? 
So kind of sharing that history, I had to explain a lot about what my actual symptoms were, what this was like, how I process or how I function on a day-to-day basis, why I still have my driver's license. I ended up talking to like the very main doctor for the U.S. Antarctic program to get him to understand what life was like so that I did not get rejected for that process. And so you kind of have to analyze a little bit, like what's your own level of comfort, but also you have to know that they are going to look into your medical history pretty, you know, intensely. And they might have a lot of questions and you might not be able to go just based on like a medical condition. Wow. And that's like a complete departure from like your normal work because that's not something you have to discuss at work ever. Correct. So that's, <laughs> that's a whole thing as well. Yeah. Are there any other requirements besides the physical? Um, a lot of it, I think, would depend on what your job is that you're going to be doing. So think about like there's electricians. So any sort of licensing that you have to have for you know, to do your job in the U.S., you would need it in Antarctica as well. And so, you know, kind of any of those typical, typical requirements is going to be pretty standard for Antarctica as well. So cool. And so finally, you were cleared and you got to go. Can you walk us through all of that? Like, even are you traveling with other coworkers? How do you get there? (laughs) Everything. (laughs) Yeah. So, I was very fortunate. I actually met my husband who also still works full-time in the in the USAP. So one of the perks, especially as a full-timer, you have the option you can do a little bit of travel before you go. If you're a contract employee, you can do travel afterwards. So essentially your flights are covered down to New Zealand. So we flew from Denver to... Denver to LA, LA to Auckland, and then Auckland to Christchurch. And so we actually did our honeymoon in New Zealand before we were deploying. And we spent about 10 days just driving around the South Island. And then I had some processes I had to review in Christchurch. And so we kind of got back and I went to work. Oddly enough, um, well, it's actually pretty common. Um, We had about a two week weather delay in in Christchurch. And so full-time, we would just kind of work as much as we could during the day, um, knowing that like everyone back in the US was working on a different time zone and everything. And then we would kind of get to explore a little bit and you know things like that. So we ended up being in New Zealand for about a month before we actually flew down to uh, McMurdo. So it's basically private, military planes that you fly on. You land on an ice runway, which is, I think as a first time experiencing it, you're just like, wait a second, where's the asphalt? Where's where's the ground? Like, what do you mean? We're, like, isn't this slippery? But yeah, so eventually I I got down there and then you literally just walk off the plane with your bags. You have like all of the stuff you have to travel in and you just walk onto the continent and then you're just there (laughs) it's it's such like a surreal experience because you just walk out and you're just like 
walking in these funny little, they call them bunny boots. And you're just walking and you're like, wow, I'm standing in Antarctica. <laughs> wow. So like no airport, no customs, no immigration, no passport stamp. Nope. They pretty much take care of that when you're, when you're going, when you're leaving New Zealand. But yeah, once you're in Antarctica, you're just kind of like, you're there. And then you're there. <laughs> so do you have a passport stamp for Antarctica? Yes. So there is a post office. There is a post office. One of the cool things we did was we mailed our thank you cards from our wedding. We mailed them from Antarctica. So it has a little postage or postmark from McMurdo Station. But yeah, so there's a post office and they have a passport stamp. And so I have a passport stamp from there. We're also, McMurdo is also about a 30 minute walk to a New Zealand station. So US and New Zealand work together pretty well. And so I was actually able to walk over there one night. They have American nights where they let <laughs> people from McMurdo come over. <laughs> Basically, we crashed their bar and their gift shop, but you can also get a passport stamp from there. So they have a passport stamp from two different stations in Antarctica. Wow, that's so cool. <laughs> so from what I understand, it's like a small city in Antarctica. Can you explain what it's like being there for work? Yeah, so... It's, it's kind of, it's hard to, it's hard to explain and, and it shouldn't be hard to explain, but I think it's just so different than what people are used to seeing. So everyone sees like these amazing pictures of icebergs and penguins and, you know, just majestic views and everything like that. And I have a picture from when I, I'm flying into McMurdo and one of the largest buildings is like this blue building. And if you're, if you've seen an Ikea building, it basically looks like an Ikea. So then imagine like 40 other buildings kind of, you know, built around it. So there's obviously like a very large science facility, but then there's dorms, there's a waste management facility, there's facilities with generators. So it literally is a small town because you have to be able to function and provide that support. So you know, there's kind of one that big blue building where, you know, you go for all your meals. So think of it. I I never had the traditional college experience, but it's pretty much what I would envision your college experience being like. So you go, you go to the cafeteria. There's like six different options to choose from. There is pizza 24 seven, which is amazing. Um, <laughs> yeah, you could just always get fresh pizza, fresh pizza. You know, so it, it's just kind of you have your meals there. There's everything there. It's just on a much smaller scale and stuff might be expired because it's been sitting in frozen storage for like five years. <laughs> <laughs> that's okay. <laughs> it's still fine. It's fine. <laughs> wow, that's so cool. And like, so in order to function as a small town or city, you need staff and people to work all of these positions. Can you talk more about the different jobs that are available? Yeah, so and that, that's kind of where the contractor side comes in. So a lot of the contractors are going to be in Antarctica, usually anywhere between six and 13 months. So there is kind of an expiration where you have to go back, you have to have your dental records reviewed, you have to have another physical, things like that. But so basically people will sign on for these six to 13 month contracts. So you 
have to be able to provide everything to run a small town. So you have firefighters, you have nurses, they don't have police, um, but there is kind of, there's some like some positions that kind of take care of that. But you need people to make the food. You need people to help clean. You need electricians, you need IT. So pretty much any job that you can think of is there. So a lot of these are filled through the contracting roles. There's a lot of heavy equipment in Antarctica. And so you need to be, you need people who can do that. There's special vehicles that have to be driven, especially like to and from the airfield. So you need people to do that. So literally probably any job that you can think of is there. And there will be people who have PhDs and they sign up to go do dishes to work <laughs> and do dishes. And a lot of times what'll happen is people will start in that role and then they'll kind of develop other skills, they'll make other friends, and then they get kind of trained to do something else. So it's really kind of a big community where everybody kind of fills in here and there, and then you make everything work. That's so cool because you are so remote, yet there's still a sense of community. Because yeah. There probably has to be. <laughs> I think that was one of my favorite parts of being in Antarctica. Like my cell phone didn't work. I could use it to take pictures, but you're so far removed from the rest of the world and your communication is going to be so limited. So you really start to rely on everyone else who you are around because you're literally with them 24 seven for months at a time. Wow. For your job in particular, what were you doing on a day-to-day -day basis while you were deployed? Yeah. So you work six-day work weeks. Um, you have Sundays off. So Sundays are kind of your one day to go out and do recreation, sleep, whatever whatever you want to do. Um, there is They do an amazing brunch spread. I will throw that <laughs> out there. There is an amazing brunch spread on Sundays. So the rest of the six days, I was in a very, very cool position where I needed to talk to as many people in different departments as I possibly could, because I needed to get to know everything about everything and figure out really what's not working. And so I think over the course, I was there for about three and a half weeks. Over the course of that time, I was able to have about 40 different conversations um, and have conversations with about 40 different departments and people in those departments. And sometimes I would have more than one conversation with a person, but that really gave me some insight into who, who really has their processes nailed down and where do we have a lot of opportunities to really streamline things, which equates to saving money, people's frustrations, and Believe it or not, some of the jobs in Antarctica can be pretty hard to fill. Some people go down once and they're like, this is not for me. And I will say it is not for everybody. But then it's kind of like, okay, how do we transfer that knowledge to the next person? And so there was just a lot of fact finding and discoveries and interviews. And then when I came back to the U.S., I kind of said, here's my, here's my ideas on where we should really focus things. Because some things were, were impacting every single person in the program who is deploying. So it's like, okay, that's a pretty large number of people. How can we fix that? Can you give an example of something that you were able to improve from your visit? Yeah. So one of the biggest things that I worked on was training. So 
there's different times of training. If you're a contractor, you know, when, when do contractors start getting paid? When can we start required, requiring them to do some things? And so one of the big, biggest training hurdles that we had was because it's a government contract, there's certain trainings that have to be done in order to allow people access to do things like their time cards Mm. and things like that. And so if they weren't getting done before people deployed, then it was essentially breaking. And then we had to figure out how to fix it. Um, And the, the fix was a several hour fix. And so there was just kind of some inconsistency. And so we worked to figure out how can we utilize that time, especially in Christchurch, to make sure that people are doing things before they got on the plane so that we're avoiding the fix later. So that was kind of one of the big things that made it so that way we didn't have to scramble so much on the back end because there wasn't a good way to kind of identify if things were not being done. Cool. You had mentioned recreation in Antarctica on your day off. What kinds of things do you do? (laughs) There's actually quite a bit um, that goes on. Pretty much everyone in the community will kind of have something that they contribute. So there was a gentleman who would teach yoga classes. And so there's a couple of gyms in Antarctica. So you could go to, you know, a yoga class or a different exercise class. There's a gym. And so you can go play basketball. There are a couple of bars. (laughs) So if that's your, if that's your thing, that is always an option. But there's also some hiking trails that get cleared out. Um, So you can go on hikes. They organize a lot of fun activities. And unfortunately, I didn't get to see them. But there's typically a big 5k that is done. They'll do parades, which can be very, very interesting. You can find videos of them on YouTube. Um, Every year, they do what's called ice stock. And so there's bands, there's, you know, and it's, it's pretty much if you had like a small redneck town get together and they're like, we're going to throw this massive party with like inflatable costumes and this and that. That is exactly what that looks like. So yeah, there's, there's always something to do to kind of like fill your time, keep you busy and things like that. And it's really just dependent on, on what's interesting to you. Very cool. So the weather, you were concerned about the cold. Was it freezing? <laughs> what did you need to bring in, to, in order to stay warm? So you do get issued some gear. Okay. Um, so that way you have like, they call it a big red. It's literally a big red coat. So you're issued some of that gear. So if it gets really, really cold, you know, you're, you're protected. There was, there's different condition levels ranging from like, it's a nice sunny day. People are walking around without coats on, and it's definitely not as cold as you think. So one thing to note is I was there during the astral summer. So it was daylight 24-7, which is a really weird adjustment to make in your brain. It was sunshine the entire time. So I was there during the nicer time of the year. (laughs) There was a couple of days when you went to condition too, which means you can't necessarily see as far in front of you. The winds are were gusting pretty heavily, um, so there were days when I had to make sure every inch of my skin was covered to walk from one building to the next. But other than those two days, it really wasn't that bad. 
this is so interesting. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so you didn't see any polar bears, but did you see any animals? I did not see any polar bears. Um, I'm pretty sure I will, there will probably never be polar bears, <laughs> but never say never. There's no dogs allowed in Antarctica. That's probably one of the saddest um, parts is, you know, you don't get like fluffy critters, but it's important in scientific research. But I did get to see Waddell seals. So we got down there right about the time when the mothers were, were kind of creating their little holes so that they could go up and safely have their babies on top of the ice sheet. And so I do remember like looking out and you can kind of see like, you know, probably four or five of them. And then there was a day that I went out to do a tour um, kind of where the ice sheets were colliding. They made these really cool, just like visual environmental sculptures, I would call them. But so I went out one day to do a tour around that. And you could see that there was a mother who had like just given birth probably within the last few hours to this cute little baby seal pup. And so I personally named him Charlie. Um, <laughs> I I have pictures of Charlie. I will forever call him Charlie for whatever reason. But yeah, that, that was kind of one of the cool things. I wasn't there at the right time to see penguins. So that was a little bit disappointing. But yeah, I definitely got to see some of the seals. And then there's these crazy birds and we call them trash birds um but they're it's called a skua so think of like a giant pelican that if you're walking from one building to the other and you have some sort of food in your hand these are the crazy birds that will like dive bomb attack you for your pizza so it's always really important to make sure like your food is covered because you can actually get in trouble if you're not responsible and trying to like leave minimal impact and not impact the animals in antarctica that sounds terrifying. <laughs> yeah, I I basically just uh, decided to take the route of I was not going to carry food outside because I've seen the videos on YouTube of people getting dive, dive bombed by these birds. And I was like, you know, I'm just I don't want that to be part of my experience. <laughs> I think that's totally valid. <laughs> yeah. So if someone were interested in applying for a contract role in Antarctica or a full-time role, do you have advice on where to look or just the process in general? Yeah. So you can go to usap.gov, usap.gov, and there is a tab for jobs. So it'll kind of show you all of the different contractors and what they might be hiring for. So Lidos is the new primary contractor for now. It's going up for, the contract goes up for rebid every so many years. So that'll be coming up. Um, so Lidos will typically hire for a lot of like the IT services and kind of more of your full-time roles. And then there's a there's seven different subcontractors who will hire for, you know, some of them focus more on the trades. Some of them provide more of the personnel services. So the the kitchen and stewards and things like that. So you can really kind of go there and find just about everything. You can see what's open currently. For contract jobs, they, they tend to hire like kind of a long time in advance because you do have to go through the PQ process and everything like that. So you might apply like a year in advance for a job next year. And sometimes you don't hear anything for like nine months and you're just like, wow, that didn't happen. And then all of a sudden somebody won't PQ and then they're like rapid firing trying to get you through the process. So it's a very clunky application process to kind of call it what it is. And 
it might take a long time and you might have to apply year after year after year. But eventually a lot of people do kind of make it through the system because they are, they are hiring for about 700 to, you know, 1100 jobs in a season. So it just kind of takes a little bit of time, but all of those resources are there and you can kind of see what's open. And then the other thing to kind of note that's important is there will be kind of a primary position. And then there's always, they always try and have kind of a backup position if something were to happen, someone doesn't PQ, things like that. So there's always alternates as well. Okay. And you had mentioned earlier that some positions are harder to hire for than others. Off the top of your head, do you know what some of those are? Off the top of my head, I can't think of any specifically. A lot of it just depends on, you know, some people, like I said, you love it or you don't. (laughs) But a lot of people, they've been going and deploying to Antarctica for 10 plus years. And then all of a sudden they decide, okay, that's that's just not the job for me anymore, or I don't want to deploy anymore. I don't want to be gone from family for six months at a time. So it's, it's really kind of hard to say, because it's just going to fluctuate quite a bit. Totally. If you are hired as a contractor and you want to come back, do you automatically get rehired provided you performed well in the first season? Not necessarily, but that they typically have those conversations towards the end of the season, but it is, it is usually a pretty good chance that if you performed well, they liked you, they'll offer you a position again. Very cool. If you'd like it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Awesome. And so you don't work in this position anymore. Why did you decide to leave and what are you up to now? Yeah. So I did decide to leave the program there. Like I kind of mentioned earlier, I was guided into a career path that was corporate America. And there was kind of always a part of me that fought it a lot. And so I had always had a photography business on the side. And I had this opportunity where I wanted to try and do that full time. And so I decided to leave the program and pursue photography. And then a couple of hiccups, which led to a couple of short corporate stints. But I'm actually now a full time photographer. Very cool. Congratulations. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Yeah, that fits in really well with like the theme of the podcast as well. Like you had your travel job and now you're doing your own thing for the flexibility, presumably. And yeah, I get I get to still be really creative. I've still done a couple of consulting jobs where I've gotten to help people work with these processes. I would love to develop something where I'm teaching creatives how to be a little bit more streamlined in their processes. And the amazing thing is I actually get to travel now more than I have at any other time in my life. Um, So it's led to both personal trips for, you know, that I get to do. I spent, I think, 10 days in Italy last year, which was very last minute, very unplanned, but I got to do that. But I also got hired to travel to different locations for photography as well. And so it's actually led to a bit more freedom and a lot more traveling than I have gotten to do before. So cool. Awesome. That's fantastic. (laughs) And if people want to learn more about you and your photography business, where can they find you online? Yeah. So I have a website that shows a lot of who I am personally, which I just love. I felt like that was something that 
I stifled a lot working in corporate America, but you can find me at pinkpoppymedia.com. And then I'm also on Instagram, also under Pink Poppy Media. Perfect. And that is also linked in the show notes. So you can just click. Amanda, thank you so much for being here. This is such a cool conversation. I'm obsessed and like very intrigued and who knows, I might just be heading to the website after we hang up to go check out what jobs are available for next season. But do you have any last pieces of advice or tips for someone who is interested in pursuing something different, whether it's going to Antarctica, whether they're just making a big life change, but something's holding them back? Yeah, um, I could talk like an entire other episode <laughs> about this, um, because it's something I love talking about. And I, I think the biggest piece of advice or, or wisdom that I could look take from looking back at my journey to get to where I'm at today is really just do a little bit of soul searching. And if there is constantly something in your gut that's telling you like, I just want to try something different. I want to step outside my comfort zone. For me, going to Antarctica was 100% stepping out of my comfort zone. And now I'm kind of like, oh my gosh, I need to go to every continent. It opened up my eyes so much more when I just said, you know, this might be a little bit uncomfortable, but let's see how it goes. And there's going to be a time frame where it's going to continue to feel uncomfortable. But if you can continue to push past that, um, there's so many amazing things that can be out there for you. And for me, leaving the program to do my business full time took me about two years. It was two years of feeling pretty consistently uncomfortable but it's so worth it at the end when you just like fight through that and you keep trying and you don't give up and it just can be so rewarding that's awesome thank you i think that's the perfect note to end on so amanda thank you so much for being here and sharing all your wisdom and everyone else i will catch you in the next episode wait before you go if you are here because you are exploring your travel options, I am excited to share with you that I've just revamped my free offerings to help you on your journey. Whether you need help budgeting for a career break, saving money for a trip, or learning how to effectively apply for a remote job, I've got you. Visit the link in the show notes or go directly to www.travelshifters.com freebies to download what you need. And don't hesitate to let me know what you think. Thank you for tuning in to the Travel Possibilities Podcast. If you liked what you heard, I would be so thankful for your positive review on Apple Podcasts so I can keep the episodes coming. If you aren't already following me on social media, come soak up the extra tips and travel inspiration on Instagram by following me at The Travel Shifters or by visiting my website at travelshifters.com. Thank you so much for being here and I can't wait to connect with you in the next episode. Be sure to subscribe so you don't miss it.